0: Welcome to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bellata from singleinthecity.ca on Global News Radio 640 Toronto.
1: Hello everyone, welcome back to the Dating and Relationship Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. I'm Laura Bellotta, your host, along with my co-host tonight, Joan Kelly Walker, philanthropist and TV personality. Hi Joan. Hello. Tonight on the Dating and Relationship Show, we're joined by our special guest, Meredith Holt-McKenzie. She's a Senior Gender Equality Advisor for World Vision to talk about something that is so important but hasn't gotten as much attention as it should lately with everything else that has been going on in 2020. October 11th marked the International Day of the Girl, a day dedicated to sharing awareness for girls around the world who have been forced into marriage and child labor. World Vision is near to Joan's heart, and when she brought this to my attention, I knew that it would make a great topic to share with you guys tonight. Now, 12 million girls around the world marry before the age of 18. That's 23 girls every minute. This exposes these girls to violence, prevents them from access to proper health, education, and opportunity, and traps them in a cycle of poverty. We already know that child marriage or any other union where one or both parties is under 18 is a serious human rights violation. With COVID having such a negative socioeconomic impact on the world, experts are worried that the pandemic is going to push the work that has been done on gender equality back 25 years. Tonight, we're going to be chatting about how these girls are being impacted, why it happens, what they go through, and what we can do as a community to help them. Welcome, ladies, to the show.
0: Thank you. you.
1: Yeah, thank you for being here today to talk about such an important topic. Uh, Joan, I want to start with you. I know that you are an ambassador for World Vision, and I believe you have been for a few years. I'm curious, and I'm sure some of our listeners would love to know the scope of work that you do for them.
0: So I've actually been working with World Vision for about 20 years now, and I feel like I'm in a a super privileged position. You know, with a lot of charities, people donate and, you know, they have the best intentions, but they give their money and they don't really, they're trusting, you know, what happens after that. Well, Mm -hmm. I've taken it the next step further, and I've gone to many countries with World Vision now now, um, like Rwanda, Tanzania, the DRC, Mose, like you, you name it. I've, I've been to quite a few different really interesting places with them. And I go there to see, you know, how is the money spent? Where is the accountability? And then I come back and I can report to people. And I think that transparency in charities is so, so important. But the most important thing is the work is being identified clearly where the need really is and then the the plan to to be executed to help uh, attack the problems. So that's what I've been doing for 20 years now is really you know trying to gain a much better understanding and simplifying it so that I can help spread the word of the good work that's already being done.
1: Well that's incredible that you're able to do that and you're in that position. Goodness. Yeah. I
0: would love to do that. Yeah, um, it's fascinating. You know, it's, it's I'm sure fascinating travel. It's, you know, a little bit dangerous. Uh, you see parts of the world that you would probably never have the opportunity to see, and, you know, like I remember last April, I was on my way to the Democratic Republic of Congo. And I was like, not this past April, the one before, obviously with COVID. Mm-hmm. But I was on the plane. I'm like, why the heck am I going to the DRC? And I'm on the plane <laughs> I and i talk thinking, really far. And I, I have to say, that was probably one of the most enlightening experiences that I've had in my life. And rewarding. Yeah.
1: Well, that's amazing. Well, let's dive right into one of the biggest problems that girls in third world countries are facing, uh, being sold into child marriages. So child marriages is most often the result of a parent who sells them to another individual. And I know this primarily happens because of poverty in the area. But Meredith, can you give us a more in-depth look at why parents sell their daughters?
2: Uh, sure. Thanks very much, uh, Laura and Joan, for having me today. It's a real pleasure to be here and to bring attention to this important issue. Um, you know, a lot of Canadians know a lot about uh, child marriage, but there's also, you know, the causes are complex and layered, and there's also a lot of misconceptions. Um, for instance, uh, girls aren't always sold. Sometimes they're actually given away. Um, and there's four main reasons why uh, child marriage happens. Um, uh, gender inequality, tradition, poverty, and insecurity. Um, in in some cases, uh, girls are valued less than boys. They're seen as a burden. And marrying them off at a young age can be viewed as a way to ease the economic burden on the family. Um, and by re- literally transferring that burden, as she's seen to her husband's family. Um, and in addition to that, uh, there's patriarchal sort of values that... Um, Uh, want to control female sexuality and how a girl should behave and how she should dress and who she should see, etc. And families guard that very, very closely uh, in order to protect family honor. And so, um, you know, if a girl was to become pregnant, uh, she could bring dishonor to the family. So the earlier they marry her off, the, the less chance there is of that happening. So, um, so gender inequality is, is really the first one. And the second one is tradition. It's, it, you know, it happens because it's always happened. Uh, and in some cases, when girls begin to menstruate, they're considered women and marriage is the next step uh, in her predetermined role as wife and mother. Uh, in southern Ethiopia, for example, um, child marriage usually follows the practice of female general mutilation, uh, which is um, cutting the external genitalia of a girl, um, and edit- Wait,
1: well, why does that happen? Why do they do
2: that? Um, because it's considered to be a rite of passage into womanhood and it's something that's always been done and it's con- she's not considered clean and presentable until that happens and And it's uh, as soon as though education is provided in those settings, uh, we've seen dramatic declines in FGM uh, as a result of the educational work that World Vision's done around the world. Uh, it's you know things have gone from like ninety five percent prevalence in communities to less than five percent prevalence. Um, and it's, That's it's amazing all, it is it's dramatic, it's amazing, and that is really due to education um, of of community leaders. Providing alternative sources of income to the women who are doing the cutting, um, and just changing those sort of rites of passage, so that different aspects are um, of of girls are valued and are are. Um, uh, lifted up in the community in the public in a public way so uh, that's um you know th- those sorts of things they often go unquestioned um, until the, you know the information about the health implications of of them come to light and and uh and communities are educated about that uh, the the other issues uh that that you know that lead to uh, child marriage include poverty so for example um, you know, more than half of girls growing up in extreme poverty are married as children. Um, and of the 650 million, uh, women who are, um, alive today, um, sorry, 650 million women who are alive today were married before the age of 15. So that's a significant number. And what led to wow. that is poverty. Uh, and, you know, early marriage can be a, um, a, a way, as I mentioned earlier, to relieve uh, what's g- girls who are considered to be an economic burden. Um, but it's also, you know, a way to, uh, you know, and this was something that, you know, used to happen in, um, in nobility in Europe, uh, building alliances between families, between communities, um, and that's why uh, settling debts. Uh, girls can be given in marriage to, to others. And I think, you know, one of the, the, the most uh, pertinent issues right now, particularly with COVID-19 happening and, and, is, is insecurity. So in, insecurity is um, is the, the, the last contributing factor to child marriage and that's when um, girls are living in places like refugee camps uh, during humanitarian crises uh, where families view marriage as a way to protect their daughters from rape, from kidnapping, from harassment in those camps. Um, and so it's it's just a you know it's, it's insecurity really is a, a, a very strong contributing factor to uh, to child marriage.
1: Now, we know that these child marriages are taking place around the world. Where is this happening, and I know you mentioned Ethiopia as one of the countries, but what are some of the other places uh, that the most work needs to be done?
2: Sure. So nine out of the 10 countries with the highest rates of uh, child marriage are actually considered to be fragile states. So states where there's war, instability, natural disaster. Uh, so, you know, of those uh Niger in sub-Saharan Africa has the highest rate of child uh, marriage globally at 76% of girls there are married before the age of, of 18. Um, other neighboring countries like Chad and Mali and the Central African Republic also see more than half of their girls married before they're, before they're 18. But in absolute numbers, India alone accounts for one third of the global total with more than 15 million child brides. So it's it's very significant.
1: Wow. Unbelievable, yeah. We need to take a break. We're talking about a very important issue here today. Um, stay with us. We'll be back.
0: Now back to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bilotta from SingleInTheCity.ca. On Global News Radio, 640 Toronto.
1: You're tuned in to Global News Radio, 640 Toronto, the dating and relationship show. I'm your host, Laura Bellotta. Tonight, we're having a very important conversation about girls around the world under the age of 18 and as young as the age of 11 who have been forced into marriage and child labor. Uh, sitting in, in with me tonight is Joan Kelly Walker. She is also an ambassador for World Vision and has seen firsthand the conditions that these girls live in. Uh, also, Meredith Holt-McKenzie, Senior Gender Equality Advisor from World Vision, is here. So, let's continue our conversation, very important conversation. Uh, World Vision has always worked hard to provide unprivileged children with access to basic needs and opportunities for a better life. How are you helping with this situation, Meredith?
2: Thanks, Laura, for this question. World Vision does work hard to fight child and early forced marriage. Um, World Vision takes a holistic approach, so working with community and faith leaders first and foremost, and those trusted leaders are the ones to spread the message to the wider community. Uh, It's one of the things that we've done uh, is working with faith leaders, uh, working on sacred texts, and unpacking what they have to say about gender equality uh, and and unpacking what they say about child marriage. Uh, And and that has been dramatic. We've seen dramatic declines in child marriage as a result of working uh, with community leadership. Uh, But we also work with community change groups, so specific groups for children, for adolescent girls, adolescent boys, women, and men separately, um, providing information about children's rights, women's rights, And creating networks um, that encourage behavior change. Uh, And this is really important for both uh, women and for men. Uh, And those change groups are part of the sort of a broader, um, as I said, holistic approach where we're targeting different groups in the community. Um, But beyond that, we also do work on um, economic assistance for families and incentives for families so that they can address, um, rather, prevent Uh, negative uh, coping mechanisms uh, uh, for, you know, that's sometimes why girls are uh, given away in marriage uh, because the families get a bride price for them. Uh, So if we can find other coping mechanisms uh, to deal with poverty, then they don't need to sell their daughters also enhancing girls' access to high-quality education and life skill development, and we advocate for stronger uh, laws and policies in countries that protect children's rights, particularly girls' rights, and uh, laws around um, enforcing child marriage laws. So, Meredith,
0: when most of these girls, if they're given away or, or you know, sold into marriage at a young age, isn't that the end of their education, like most of the time?
2: Yes, most of the time it is the end of their education. And, and that's just a cycle of poverty. So uh, there's a lot of evidence that sh- that shows that when girls um, continue their education, they have fewer children, their children are healthier, their children are better educated, um, they had better economic opportunities as a woman um, to pursue um, you know, outside the home and, and, and making income that then goes to support the family financially. So it really just, it starts a cycle of, uh, or really continues the cycle of poverty. Um, and, and that's something that we try, to, uh, we try to mitigate with the work that we're doing.
1: Now, just so people have a better understanding of what goes on with child marriage, can you share any stories that have impacted
0: you while doing this work? Uh, jo, you know, let, let me start with you. With this, because, yeah, um, we'll this was not even a world vision trip that I was on. I was in India for another purpose, and um, I was touring a temple, and I was with two other ladies. Um, and there was a young girl, who you know, I, I can't even guess her age. She looked like someone had dressed her up and adorned her with all the whatever you're supposed to wear to get married. But the look on her face was a look of, like she looked like she was almost sick to her stomach and and just like terror, but you know i don't I don't know this girl that was that was like our observation and it was super impactful because you know there was like kind of marriages going on all around the place and the and it was open for tourists. It was just such a a common thing that nobody even really was paying attention
1: unbelievable,
0: yeah. And, yeah, I mean, just the the haunting look on this girl's face, like it was not her thing. You know, it was very, uh, like, I've never seen that
2: before.
1: And, Meredith, how about yourself? Any personal stories?
2: Uh, Well, I've got, uh, you know, what I was reflecting on coming on today, I I was thinking about two different um, uh, girls that I uh, I've met. And the, the, the first um, is uh, a 14-year-old girl named Banesh who arrived in a displacement camp in Afghanistan um, last year uh, during the drought there. And she was um, pregnant with her second child. She'd been married at 11 uh, for $3,000 U.S. And she'd been told she was going on a picnic um, and she ended up being married that day. And now she's in a displacement camp. She's seeking medical help. And she and her much, much older husband um, did receive uh, some counseling on family planning, uh, which um, was helpful. Uh, they did end up leaving the um, the camp, uh, and we don't have a way to track her. Uh, but she, you know, when she was there, she talked about seeing the other girls playing. She couldn't play because she has her own child to take care of. Um, oh. and, uh, and she did say that if, she, if she's having a daughter uh, in this next birth, she would have already had the baby by now. Um, she hopes uh, that this girl um, can continue her education, um, and this is her dream for her, and that she, uh, she would allow her daughter to choose who she wants to marry, if she marries at all uh, so just that uh you know, oh just that the the sorrowful situation that 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 is being married off at the age of eleven um really, really heartbreaking and but conversely in in Bangladesh, which you know it regionally isn't that far away um. I had a really uplifting experience there last year when I met with members of what we call these girl power groups. And they're groups led by World Vision staff who meet on a regular basis to uh, discuss, um, you know, adolescent empowerment and learn about girls' rights and how to protect themselves from uh, trafficking and child marriage and other gender-based violence. And, And one of the really interesting things about these groups is that because they're young, girls they're listening to what parents are saying and adults are saying and they kind of got their ear to the ground and they're like child marriage spies and uh, they confine in one another about what they're hearing and when they learn about a girl who's at risk um You know, uh, of being married off, they contact World Vision staff or they they contact a government hotline number and either the the, the government and they hold the government um, and police accountable and will get World Vision involved to hold them accountable to get them to come and to stop the marriage because it's illegal in Bangladesh. Um, And when I was there, I met Dola, who is 16 years old, and her personal story is just amazing. Um, she has not been married, though, um, thankfully. And in the past two years, she and her friends have stopped six hundred child marriages.
1: Oh, wow! That's awesome. And
2: I just found that to be such an exciting story of of determined uh, these determined girls who were who were working on this um, single handedly mm-hmm. stopping these marriages. And it, are there, are they in danger? Like, would there be
0: pushback from any adults in the region that are you know, thinking these girls are just messing
2: things up? Um, There certainly is, uh, you know, there's uh, the the girls that are involved in these girl groups are, um, you know, they would have the, uh, um, the approval of their parents to participate and they would have the support of World Vision participating in these groups as well. So their parents are aware that they're participating and the parents have signed off and are aware of what it is that they're learning and discussing in these groups. And it's interesting because actually, right now we're doing a study um, with these Girl Power groups in um, in Bangladesh uh, and the impact of COVID nineteen um, on them, and and you know how much have these groups provided a certain level of resiliency uh, to combat some of the um, gendered implications of uh, COVID nineteen. And one of the and we're interviewing parents and the interviews with the parents have really been, they've just confirmed how much support the girls have and how excited the parents have been to learn about uh, preventing child marriage and continuing their, with their school, their their, their daughter's uh, education in, sc- in school. So it's been, um, that's been very exciting. So I would expect that there would be pushbacks from some uh, corners, um, but there's a, simultaneously, there's also a campaign going on in the country of Bangladesh where, uh, with with tv ads prevent uh, stopping and trying to address the issue of child marriage. So there's sort of a number of things that are happening at the same time.
0: So it's really like the timing is right and and a bunch of elements are coming together to help, you know, make actual change. So if we get back to the four factors that you mentioned earlier of, you know, why this is happening, inequality, tradition, poverty and insecurity. Uh, does this ever happen to boys? Are there young boys that are sold or given away?
2: That's a good question. Certainly, in terms of uh, trafficking of children uh, for labor, it, it definitely happens. Child marriage does happen to boys as well. It doesn't happen as frequently as it does to girls, um, and it's uh, you know it doesn't it, it it you you don't see it quite as frequently in the same sort of. You know being leaving the parents home and going off because they're, the the couple would need to financially support themselves somehow and a, a young boy isn't going to be able to financially support himself and his wife and his children which would be coming relatively soon so it's it's not common but it does happen um, uh, where they where they've been uh, they've been put together but that usually the circumstances for that are different where it's you know where it's forced and and it there it's most frequently a young girl with an older uh, adult man mm-hmm, because he's self sufficient. Yeah, and
1: Meredith, what happens to a girl that's set to be married? Um, let's say she speaks out. There's always a rebel in the crowd. The ones, you know, the ones that are willing to go against societal norms to get to get heard. Like I, I feel like I would be that person. Mm, yes, you would. <laughs> you know? I would, right? And I, so, what would happen to me in that case? Like, I'm like, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this. Like, there's got to be those cases.
2: There has to be it. There are, and I think it really depends on the the country and the culture. So, um, if a girl is aware, uh, an awareness that you can say no, or that you you know might want to say no, is, is is low in many contexts. So, if you this I know. This is not something that you want to do. There's girls that have run away. There's girls that, um, you know, they run away from their parents' home before the wedding happens if they find out. Or as in the case of the girl in Afghanistan, uh, she was tricked uh, and she uh, thought she was going to a picnic. And you know, in a context where you are already undervalued as a as a human, uh, as as a person, you are not you. And you've been told since you were small that you're a burden to the family. You know, I think that, that something like that plays on your mind, and it really does take a strong girl to stand up and say, "No, I'm not going to do this." But there are definitely cases of that. We have them within the programs uh, where we're working, we we within the communities where we're working, um, and uh, and it's it, that um, you know sometimes they do experience uh, negative. Um, uh, uh, negative repercussions from their families, uh, and now they have nowhere to go. They don't have a family to go to, they don't have a, a husband to go to, and so now they're in a very tricky situation, but in many contexts there's, there's shelters, but it's hard to sometimes find those.
0: Yeah, it's so it rural and,
2: and options. Yeah.
1: And I heard, uh, but when we come back from the break, so we have to take a break, um, but I heard that these girls are often isolated from their families, friends, and communities. Um, and we'll talk about that when we come back on the Dating and Relationship Show. We're talking about the impact that child marriage has on young girls under the age of 18 and what we can do as a community to help them. We'll be back.
0: Now, back to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bilata from singleinthiscity.ca on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto.
1: Tonight on the Dating and Relationship Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto, we are bringing much attention to a critical issue that strips and violates women's rights around the world, particularly girls under the age of 18 and as young as the age of 11 who are forced into marriage. Joining me tonight is Joan Kelly Walker. She is also an ambassador for World Vision and has seen firsthand the conditions that these girls live in. I'm your host, Laura Bellotta, and Meredith Holt-McKenzie, Senior Gender Equality Advisor. She's here. She's from World Vision. Welcome back, everybody, to the show. Thank you. So
2: so I've heard that these
1: girls are often, again, isolated from their families and their communities and their friends and so forth. Um, Why is that?
2: Oh, that's a good question as to why Um, there's, you know, girls are, are frequently married to someone uh, outside of their, their community, although not always. Uh, So it, you know, they, they they're married they move away to their husband's community um and then they're isolated from their from their family they're now with their husband's family and they don't have any friends there they're unfamiliar with that particular community and so all of that sort of works together to to very much isolate them um they experience violence abuse exploitation within that context and uh and you know very soon, very quickly, on they will become pregnant. Um, their job they, has has been laid out for them. They're they're there now to be a wife and a mother, and um, and these and early to help right, and to help the mother-in-law
0: quite often. Like they have a lot of duties yeah. that they have to, like cleaning and cooking and oh know, fetching goodness. water and all of those things too are on their plate.
2: Yeah, it depends on the on the on the cultural context whether or not they'll be living with their their in-laws, but in in. Some contexts they definitely are. Um, and there, you know, the early pregnancy is a huge um, risk factor for, uh, for teenage girls. Um, they can, you know, high levels of mortality, infant mortality, um, and just um, t- taxation on the girl's body because she's, she's not yet ready. Despite the fact that she started menstruating, she's not yet ready to carry a child.
0: Hmm. I just think it would be so terrifying to be so young and not prepared and so alone to have a baby. I can't imagine. I can't. Meredith, what are some myths about child marriage that need to be debunked?
2: Oh, this is a great question. Um, I think, you know, well I think child marriage is very complex and I think one of the, the myths um, is that there's always um a villain and a victim. Um and I think you know these often there's a very difficult decision that's made by the family um to uh to, to give their daughter away or to sell their daughter. Um, Eleanor in uh in Afghanistan told us that, you know, if I don't marry my daughter off, uh then I will not be able to feed my family. The rest of my family is going to die because we have no food um, I don't want to do it um, but I have to sacrifice one family member to save the others and it's this sort of idea of um, uh, you know you you're giving away your daughter yes but you're also saving the other eight people in your in your household um, and and so it, it, I don't I don't think that we can necessarily Always think about the parents who are making these choices as being, you know, good or bad. Um, it's it's very complicated. Um, I think you know another one of the child, one of another one of the myths is that um, it's not like two teenagers, you know, in love, running away, getting married. Um, make no mistake, uh, when we refer to child and early forced marriage, the practice usually involves girls, uh, as you've mentioned, as young as 11, and in some cases younger, being married to adult men who in some cases are significantly older.
1: That's disgusting. Um,
2: yeah, I mean, effectively, I, I, it has been called pedophilia, and that is, you know, ultimately... Uh, yeah. So I would sleep
1: at night as a parent, whether I needed yeah. food or not. Yeah. Sorry, Meredith.
2: That's okay. Um, <laughs> Sorry. There's um, and I think the another one of the um, the myths that um, you know should be debunked is that um, you know it's someone else's traditional practice, therefore we shouldn't interfere. And in in many many countries there are laws against child marriage uh, that are in place to prevent the practice, but they're not being enforced, um, and that's uh, due to corruption. And that's the main the main issue. Um, And people make traditions and they can unmake traditions, and when uh, World Vision is in a community and begins to unpack the, uh, the tradition of child marriage, uh, it, it can begin to change and it does begin to change. We have lots and lots of examples of where uh, this has changed as a result of the, um, the work that we're doing on, on, with communities. So I think that's, you know, that's an important one to, um, you know, to think about uh, as well. So when, when you go in there
0: to do the work, like a, a, what's the cycle here? Like if you go into a community, is that like a 15-year thing and then you're finding, like uh, you know you mentioned the girls groups led by that girl Dola who are stopping child marriages within their community. Is that like a 10-year cycle, a 15-year cycle? And, and like at the end of that cycle, has it actually shifted in that community permanently or does World Vision have to stay and keep repeating the work for the next generation and the next generation? That's like, how do you plan question. going forward for that because it's like unsurmountable?
2: yeah, World Vision usually commits to fifteen years in a community. The area development programs that Joan mentioned earlier are are fifteen year uh long um uh, commitments, uh, that we are in a community for. And within that, within those 15 years, um, uh, cultural mores and, and traditions change. And, you know, there's lots of traditions that are, 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 wonderful. And those are not the ones that are being targeted. The ones that are being targeted are harmful traditional practice, practices, um, things like child marriage, things like female general mutilation, um, and, and those those are things that can shift in those 15 years. They're not going to shift in one year or two years. It's not a, a short-term project. It's, but 15 years is a generation.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and older girls staying in school. Like when I visited uh, the DRC, we went to some schools, and you know. Right on the boards, like some of the classrooms had like 100 kids in it, which in in itself is an issue, but, um, you know, they'd say, you know, 50 boys, 50 girls, and then the second grade was, uh, you know, 60 boys, 40 girls, and then by the time you got to the higher grades, around the time that girls would menstruate, the dropout rate for the girls is exponential. Because there was no facilities for them, so you know the focus on that trip was was making sure that there was water and you know a, a way for them to ha- practice hygiene. And then the girls were staying in school so much longer. So you know it it really is it depends on the situation in the community itself. So it's hard to measure success, um, but you know there are tangible things like that that, that I know that World Vision is looking at.
2: Yeah, and it's certainly not one element. You mentioned menstrual health ma- management. Uh, that's, a, that's a really key factor, uh, making sure that there's toilets available at the school. That ensures that girls stay in school. Schools are one of the most uh, important and protective environments that girls can be in because they can, um, you know, they are not, you know, sitting at home, um, wandering around the community. They're actually in a, in a school seat, in a, at a desk, um, yeah. and it, that's an important place for them.
1: We need to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the biggest gender equality issues that young girls are facing around the world today. We'll be back.
2: You're listening to the
0: Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bellotta from singleinthecity.ca on Global News Radio 640 Toronto.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Dating and Relationship Show. This is Global News Radio 640 Toronto, and I'm Laura Bellotti, your host, along with my co host tonight, Joan Kelly Walker, philanthropist and TV personality. And in studio with us, we have Meredith Holt McKenzie. She's a senior gender equality advisor from World Vision. We're talking about the impact that child marriage has on young girls under the age of 18. Uh, we've discovered why it happens, what they go through, and what we can do as a community to help them. We're going to get to that right next here. But before we get to that, uh, I wanted to ask one more question going back a bit. Um, so let's just say a family has five girls, for example. Will all of them get married off or just one or two? They, they, do they have the chosen one, chosen two? Because I'd be pretty upset if I got married off and my sisters didn't.
2: That's a good question. Um, it's uh, you know usually uh, if 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 it is going to happen, it's usually happening as a child to the to the older sisters. Um, uh, the younger ones might be spared that um, by marrying off an older sister. It might allow the younger sisters to be able to stay in school. Um, there's, you know, in my experience, in in countries where resources are thin, uh, there's a lot of sacrifices that are made by people in order to allow their siblings to continue in school, whether those siblings are girls or boys. Um, and so it, it's it's not, you know, it's not a foregone conclusion that just because you married off one daughter, you're going to marry off all of them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Now, we know that child marriage isn't the only problem that young girls face in third-world countries um, with other issues like, you know, you were mentioning genital mutilation, lack of access to proper education, and forced child labor, setting girls back. Uh, They often see significant disadvantages. What are some of the biggest gender equality issues that young girls are facing around the world today?
2: Uh, That's a great question. Um, One of the One of the really important ones uh, is uh, access to education. So, and and that the the fact that girls, you know, education is there, schools are available, there are desks available for them, but a number of uh, of issues prevent them from actually getting there. One is the girls start to menstruate, and they they don't have supplies, and they miss a week of school every month. Two, uh, when they're at the school, the the toilets aren't working, or the toilets are there isn't enough security around the toilets. Um, uh, so lack of hygiene at school, uh, is an, is another factor as to why girls won't actually attend when when they're menstruating. Um, secondly, uh, the, um, the prevalence of gender-based violence. So whether that's, um, you know, sexual assault on the way to, uh, to school or when, as I mentioned, if there aren't toilets and they have to go into the bush, uh, and they can be attacked in the bush, going to collect water, um, a number of different ways in which girls are girls can be attacked. That's a huge um, that's a huge problem, uh, and you know that's not a problem that's just limited uh, to other corners of the world. It's something that we face here in Canada as well. Um, and I, you know, I think one of the other uh, important aspects is is the um, sort of and this is something that you know girls face in Canada too is the um, the, the perception of, of what are your options as a girl. So uh, as a girl, you know, in many parts of the world, the the perception is that you are going to be a wife and you'll be a mother. Um, And just sort of opening that up and broadening both the the mindset of girls as well as the the mindset of boys, uh, the mindsets of parents as to what options might be made available to their daughters. Um, In in my view, these are some of the the biggest, um, uh, you know, barriers uh, for girls. Hmm. So, you know, I...
0: I have, to, like, nobody listening to this would not agree that this is something that we all need to come together and really, you know, talk about and look at and create a plan. So what do you think is the best way for people here in Canada, everyone that's listening to this, this show and podcast, how do we help?
2: Mm. yeah that's this, the first thing is to not give up on these girls um, this is not a hopeless situation change is happening for sure um, you know action can be financial but it can also be non-financial uh, so you know, building awareness helps things like this radio show um, today uh, writing uh, you know news articles about it um, journalists um writing uh, writing about this um, encouraging your listeners uh, to do research about this to read up on it um, to become more informed um, there's uh, you know it's, everybody's on social media um, posting about it changing the narrative um, that these girls are not victims that they are they are agents of change they are they are making a difference girls like Dola um, who are who have saved 600 girls from marriage and um, in, just in her community alone, uh, there's, you know, there's, there's thousands, uh, potentially millions of doulas. Um Certainly, potentially there's billions of doles out there who are who are able to to make a difference in their communities. So that, you know, we definitely need to be supporting them uh, through effective programs that are are reaching uh, community leadership in, in changing that narrative. Um, And we've seen amazing things um, when women and girls realize their rights uh, for the good of everyone. And what would you comment about the situation in
0: Canada? I mean, some people would argue, well, there's lots of girls also being subject of inequality right here in our own community.
2: Well, I think in the same vein, uh, it's about uh, ensuring that uh, people become more informed on the issue. Uh, they become more informed about what are the gender barriers here in Canada for girls. Um, and you know, is it the same for for girls all across the country, in different regions, um, from different ethnic backgrounds? Um, what are what, What's the perspective of boys in Canada, um, and how do boys understand gender equality? Um, and I think that if we can start to engage, uh, particularly men and boys, in that conversation about gender equality, um, not just for you know, changing the narrative for what girls can become, but also changing the narrative for what boys can become and who they are, in um, my view, those are, are really important ways to, to create synergies together.
0: Yeah, it really comes down to education.
2: Yeah, yeah, it really does.
1: Well, that ends our show. Thank you so much, Meredith and Joan, for joining me on the show tonight. Meredith, where can people help? Where can they learn more about all the amazing things that World Vision is doing?
2: Uh, you can uh, go to www.worldvision.ca. Um, there's links there to stories, to different components of our work. Um, if you are interested to give and to donate, there's um, Sponsorship opportunities. There's also opportunities like Raw Hope, uh, where you're giving to um, a lot of the humanitarian work that World Vision's involved in.
0: Thank you. Joan, where can people get a hold of you? On Instagram, Joan Kelly Walker Official, and my website, joankellywalker.com.
1: And you can find me on Instagram, official Laura Bellada, and my website, of course, SingleInTheCity.ca. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Until next week, ciao for now. back.